Chapter 14 of The Twin Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Kyle Donnellan. The Twin Mystery by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 14. A Change of Front. Patsy had made his way to the Madison Square Garden at once and presented his letter to the prominent banker. I should think, said the banker, as he folded up the letter after reading it, that Mr. Carter would devote his energies rather to finding out who killed Mrs. Constant than to finding out who poisoned her dogs. Oh, Mrs. Constant is all right, replied Patsy. She wasn't killed. Not killed, replied the banker. The papers said so. All a mistake, said Patsy. Mrs. Constant is well, though she ain't happy for the reason that it was her sister who was killed. That beautiful girl, explained the banker, eager to know all that Patsy could tell him. Though the lad was anxious to get to work, he was compelled to delay while he satisfied the banker's curiosity. When he was finally released, which he was with full authority to go to all parts of the huge building, he hurried out into the space where the dogs were benched. As fond as he was of the animals, however, he paid little attention to them, for he was anxious to make himself acquainted with the attendants. It was the last day of the show, and the attendance, especially at that hour in the afternoon when Patsy reached the building, was very large. If thereby movement about the building was made difficult, it was all the better for Patsy, for he was less likely to be recognized. He spent an hour of close examination, without hitting upon anything that could serve as an opening to him. Finally, he engaged in conversation a well-known kennelman of a prominent breeder, leading it to the poisoning of the dogs by degrees. Yes, said the kennelman in answer to Patsy's question. There was a nasty case of poisoning here. You can bet that it was outside of the bunch. What do you mean by that? asked Patsy. I mean it was none of the doggy men that did it, and it wasn't for any show reasons. A breeder or a man in the business thinks too much of a dog to do him in that way. Setters are not my line. We were only competing in the fox terriers, so we hadn't a special interest in setters. But I felt as bad over the deaths of those setters as if they had been the dogs I had brought up and cared for. It's a mean man that can kill a dog. Anyhow, dogs as gentle and sweet-tempered as setters are. So I say... Someone was trying to get square on the lady that owned those dogs, and for reasons away from this show. Say, if they ever get down to the truth of it, see if it don't turn out to be a woman that did the business. This was a new idea to Patsy, and he stood still thinking of it. Suddenly, a voice fell on his ear. It's him! I'm telling you! Sure! Get out of sight! Patsy looked around, without seeing whence came the voice though two of the attendants were walking off hastily. Rather from curiosity than from any other reason, Patsy followed them, carefully preventing himself from being seen by them. When they had reached the end of the aisle, they turned, taking up a position behind a bench, where they thought they were concealed from view. Patsy crept up as closely as he could, and, under the pretense of petting one of the dogs, then listened to their further talk. I hear Nick Carter was onto the case, said the voice Patsy had heard before. Now his young assistant, Patsy, comes around on the sneak. 
but you ain't sure he's onto the case. Likely he's only come in to have a look at the dogs. Look, nothing. He's here for biz. I'm going to get out. If you do, you lose your pay. If you drop out now, you get nothing. The whack on the other thing is good. Anyhow, I don't want that fellow to get his peepers on me. You haven't got the whack, and I'm ready to bet that we'll get thrown down yet. Go on, said the other incredulously. Patsy cautiously climbed upon the bench and peeped over the division. Two men in the dress of the hired attendants stood with their backs to him. As he looked, trying to fix upon some peculiarity by which he could recognize them, went into position to see their faces. A man, who was in his manner and dress of some consequence, approached. He eyed the two keenly, and the two straightened up as if they expected recognition from the person. Apparently, this person was about to pass by, but he suddenly halted, turned from his path, and went quickly to the bench where the two were standing, pretending to be much interested in the dogs there. All of this was seen by the keen-eyed Patsy, and he also saw that, as his consequential-appearing person reached the bench, he slipped something deftly into the hands of the two standing ready to receive it. Not a word was spoken between the three. The passage made, the consequential-appearing man turned from the bench and sauntered on. Dropping from his perch and keeping his eye on this person, Patsy followed him down, keeping in his own aisle. As the end was reached, Patsy hurried forward and, getting close to this person, kept him in sight until he met an acquaintance. "'Who is that person?' asked Patsy, pointing out the man he had been following. "'Don't know,' replied the one he accosted. "'There's Herrick over there. He knows everybody. If you want to know badly, I'll find out for you.' "'Do,' said Patsy. "'And hurry!' Patsy's acquaintance hurried off and came back in a moment, saying, The man's name is Eric Mason. Though Patsy was rather expecting that reply, yet when he received it, it was with a sort of a shock. However, firmly fixing in his memory the features of the man Mason by a close inspection of them, he hurried back to the part of the building where he had left the attendants. They were still in the places where they had stood when Mason came to them and passed to them the mysterious something. He made a wide circle so that he could come in in front of them to observe their faces. Then he worked up to them gradually, using the passing people skillfully as a screen for himself. Thus, he obtained an excellent view of their faces, and it seemed to him that he recognized one of them, but it was difficult for him to fix it. He was about to turn away. In an effort to learn who they were, how and under what circumstances they had obtained employment there, when he saw Mason again approaching. This time, he seemed to be stopping for an instant before each of the dogs, but yet steadily edging along to where the two men stood. Patsy took a chance and moved closer, concealed only by a lady and gentleman, whose next movements might disclose him to the very persons of whom he was trying to keep out of sight. Finally, Mason reached the spot where the two men were standing. This dog is not a prize winner, he said to the one nearest him who proved to be the one whose features were somewhat familiar to Patsy. No, he didn't win anything, replied the man. Then, in a lower tone of voice, Mason said, I want to see you. When? replied the attendant in the same tone. Right away. Where? Follow me out into a place I shall go to. Say, boss, replied the other, if we skip the place now, we lose our bones for the four days' hustle. Never mind that. I'll make it good. You must get out to me. There's trouble. All right, said the other, who had not yet spoken. 
If you make good what you say goes, but it's a 10-case no for each of us. All the same. Get off those clothes and get to me. As the two of them made a movement as if to go away from the spot, Patsy fell back to a point where he could observe without being seen. Two went off towards the rear of the hall, and Eric Mason sauntered off toward the main entrance. There he took a stand as if he was merely watching the passing show. At once, Patsy took in the situation. The men had gone to change their clothes, and Mason was waiting for them to return. I must follow them, muttered Patsy. To do so, I must make a change, and I've got to make it quick. Near where he stood was a door where he thought led to the offices of the kennel club. He dodged through it to find he was correct in his surmise, as well as to face the prominent banker. What now, Patsy? asked the banker. Only a little makeup, replied Patsy. I think I'm onto something, and I'm going to try it. Much to the interest and amusement of the banker, he drew from his pocket a wig, which he slipped on, and a false mustache, using some color to change his face and eyebrows. Oh, for another coat and hat cried Patsy, casting longing eyes on those worn by the banker. I'll swap with you, Patsy, cried the banker, laughing heartily, as he threw off his coat. The exchange was quickly made, and as Patsy dashed out, the banker following cried out, I shan't swap back, Patsy, because as it stands now, I got the best of the trade. Patsy laughed, but made no reply. Hurrying out, he found Mason still in the place where he left him. He passed close to him and went into the hallway, standing just within the gate, waiting until Mason appeared. As this person showed up, Patsy sauntered through the gate and down to the outer doors. Looking back, he saw the two men, now in their street clothes, following at a respectful distance. Patsy went out on the sidewalk. When Mason reached it, he turned towards 27th Street and rounded the corner. Patsy was close behind him. Following at a brisk gate, which he quickened to pass Mason, he saw that the person was going to 4th Avenue. Nearing the corner of 4th Avenue, Patsy put himself in concealment, quite certain that he had not been observed by Mason or the two men. And from that point, he saw Mason turn up 4th Avenue, followed by the two men. Now Patsy trailed in behind them. The way was up 4th Avenue, only a few blocks, when Mason turned into a saloon on the corner, making a signal for the two men to follow him. The young detective passed in close behind the two. A hasty glance about the room showed him that it was well thronged by customers, something he had hoped for. It also showed him that a partition formed a small room in the corner on the side on which was the bar. At the end of the bar, nearest the small room, was a large and rather ornamental icebox. At the end of the box, furthest from the bar and out of sight of it, was a door leading into the hall by which the upper floors of the house were reached. The door was open and swung back against the partition, leaving a space behind it. Mason made his way through the customers to the small room, followed by the two men. He ordered drinks for them, and when they had been served and paid for, he closed the door, shutting himself up with them. Patsy slipped behind the hall door. He could hear nothing, however. By dint of climbing upon the door, resting a foot on the doorknob, he brought his ear on level with the top of the partition. The effort paid him. There is a lot of trouble, said Mason's voice, quickly recognized by Patsy. In the first place, Nick Carter has been put on the case. That's bad, said the other one. Why bad, said Mason. Because he's a wizard to get at the bottom of things. Well, it isn't likely he'll spend much time on this matter, for he's got something bigger on hand. But that isn't what I am after just now. Listen to me. Nick Carter was put on the case. The woman has charged me with being at the bottom of the thing. However, 
there was a change. And that gives me a chance to do a thing I want to have done. Nick Carter won't pay much attention to this thing for a while. That's where you're off, interrupted the voice Patsy had first heard. One of his best men was in the garden this afternoon. He's there now on the snoop. You're wrong, old man, muttered Patsy to himself. I'm here on the sneak. Who? asked Mason anxiously. Patsy Murphy, replied the other. I dropped to him as soon as I saw him. Are you sure? asked Mason. You bet he's sure, said the other. He's been through Patsy's hands and he knows him. That's so, said the first one, and he left his mark on me so he'd know me again. I sneaked when I saw him. Well, if that's so, said Mason, it makes it all the more necessary that the thing moves as I have planned. This woman's sister was killed last night. No, the woman herself, said one of the voices. Don't contradict me, said Mason. It was the woman's sister. I've got it straight. They may make some trouble for me, but not much. It will make more if they get onto the other job. But I want you two out of the way to make sure they don't get on. Take a trip to Chicago, St. Louis, or the devil for four or five weeks. I'll pay for it. Now then, you see what I mean? Will you get out right away? I'll stake you well. I'm game to go on the next train, said one of the two. I ain't so ready to go, said the other. But if it cuts any ice, I'll do it. Well, said Mason, it will cut a good deal of ice with me. I can't afford to take any chances now. I wish now that I've never gone into the job, seeing what turn things have taken. But the thing is, are you ready to go? Yes. When will you go? Tonight? Yes. Where to? Chicago, if you say so. Well, I do. It is now near five o'clock. Meet me at half past seven at the 42nd Street Station, and I'll hand you the tickets in the stake. Is that settled? There was a movement of chairs as if the three men were rising and Patsy slipped down from his perch and from behind the door. He was out in the saloon in a position to see them when they came from the room. I needn't worry about Mason, said Patsy to himself. He can be picked up at the station. I'll follow the others to find out who they are. His chase after these two was not a long one, though it did carry him to the Bowery, to which place the two hurried. The two toughs, for such indeed they were, reaching that famous thoroughfare, quickly made for a saloon which was well known to Patsy, through frequent visits to it in the way of business. So skillfully had his shadow work been done that neither of the two toughs had even seen him. Entering this place close behind them, Patsy was surprised and not gratified to see within it an old acquaintance, Bally Morris. But what had rather annoyed him, he quickly saw was likely to turn out to his advantage. No sooner had this Bally Morris seen the two Patsy was following enter than he went up to them and began a quarrel with them, charging them with having gone back on him in some matter. It was clear to Patsy that the two had no wish for a quarrel at the time, and he saw them get out of the place as soon as they could, and he changed his tactics at once. Slipping out, he tore off his beard and false mustache, letting the two go where they would, believing that he would get the trace of them at half past seven at the Grand Central Station. Having gotten to his own proper person, he went back into the saloon to find Bally Morris. The amiable young person recognized Patsy at once, and was not apparently anxious to see the young detective. Oh ho, thought Patsy, he's afraid of me. He's been up to something and thinks I am on. Asking Morris to take a drink with him, he said, Who were the two guys you were wanting to scrap with, Bally? I don't know who they is. I had a muss with them last night to a ragspiel. Oh, come off, Bally. Don't play me that way. Give me it straight. Honest, I don't. Say, Bally, you couldn't be honest if you tried. Well, I ain't on to anything you've been doing but I want to know who those fellers are, see? 
If you don't give it, why... He stopped, looking Belly in the face, steadily and threateningly. Well, at length, said the East Side Tough, they ain't no friends of mine. Their names is Al Crummy and Bill Graff. Crooks? Well, they ain't straight goods. Where's their hangout? On the block below. What they been doing? Poisoning dogs, I guess. Bally looked up at Patsy with a laugh, as if he did not believe him. That's all I know, continued Patsy. Up to the dog show. They was hired there. Well, said Bally, they're mean enough. Patsy had now gotten all he wanted, and he hurried off to find Nick Carter and to report. End of chapter 14. Read by Kyle Donnellan.